everyone, and welcome to the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Bob Peruca, and I'll be your host tonight. I'm sitting in for my good friend Jason Gallagher, and I have the opportunity to host the show every once in a while, and I really look forward to it. Um, I am a little bit about myself. I'm a deacon over at Branch of Hope Presbyterian Church uh, in Torrance, California, under uh, the uh, guidance of Pastor Paul Vigiano, and um, I get to host this show probably three or four times a year, and I really enjoy it. And about four years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, interview Ken Samples, Professor Ken Samples, and he had written a book called God Among Sages. And so I interviewed him four years ago at that time when that book came out, and Ken has a new book coming out, Professor Samples. It's called Christianity Cross examined. Now, Ken is a philosopher and theologian, and he has a great passion to help people understand the reasonableness and relevance of Christianity's truth claims. He's a senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe and the author of several books, including Classic Christian Thinkers, Seven Truths That Changed the World, and God Among Sages. And another book he wrote is called Without a Doubt. And when I first became a Christian, probably 16 years ago, when I first received Christ, this book really helped me out because for myself, I really wanted to know what I believed and why I believed it. Why was I a Christian and what were the basic tenets of the faith? And that was very important to me because if Christianity was not true, why believe it? So uh, this book really helped me out. And we are joined tonight by with uh, Professor Ken Samples. And Ken, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Bob. It's good to talk with you again. Uh, I always enjoy Apologetics.com. been a supporter and a fan all the way back when uh, Harry Edwards started the program. So it's a pleasure to get to talk with you. And we'll give a shout-out also to uh, your buddy Chris Nicewonger as well. Uh, so, That's right. Uh, yeah, Chris is relocated to Tennessee and doing great there. And you know, Ken, I want to start off by um, I've got uh, I'm, I've got page seventeen open in your book, without a doubt, answering the twenty toughest faith questions. And there's a quote uh, that I want to start out with. You say that Christianity has nothing to fear from philosophic, scientific, or historic tr- scrutiny. In fact, the more I learned, the more I began to understand that all of the world's religions. Out of all of them, Christianity uniquely stands up to honest intellectual inspection. And then you go on further and you say, God is pleased with us when we think. Using our God-given intellectual faculties honors the Creator. And so um, you're a master at... uh, at these books and the apologetics, so it's, it's great to have you on the show. And we want to, uh, you know, start out with the idea of why this particular book at this time, at this cultural moment, why have you written uh, Christianity Cross-Examined? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, let me thank you for those kind words about uh, a book I wrote long ago, without a doubt. Um, that encourages me that somebody like you would pick up that book and and that it would help help you so uh that's 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 really encouraging to me uh bob i think i probably carry around books in my head for some time but i'll tell you um i started doing apologetics professionally in the late 80s i worked at the christian research institute 
Uh, my mentor was Walter Martin, the original Bible Answer Man, and it was uh, an interesting time doing apologetics in the late 80s. But when I would go to the academy, to the university, to colleges and give talks, um, the kinds of questions that students and faculty would ask are what I would call truth questions. Does God exist? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Uh, is Christianity true? But about 15 years ago, now moving forward 35 years, um, working at Reasons to Believe and going to the university campuses and talking with, again, students and faculty, I noticed a change in the questions that I got. There, there were still truth questions, but I began to hear questions like, well, is Christianity really a good thing for the world? Mm. And it seemed to me that there's been a shift from questions that I would call kind of modernist inquiries about truth claims to what many philosophers would call postmodern inquiries about whether Christianity was a good thing. And so um, I thought to myself, uh, apologists are very good, have been very good for centuries at, I think, showing the truth of Christianity. But I think now we need apologetics that not only addresses truth claims, but also communicates to people that Christianity has been a good force in the world. And, and in fact, it would be good if you believed it to be true. So that's kind of the, uh, the origin of writing this book, dividing it into questions about Christianity's truth and questions about Christianity's goodness. That's so interesting, you know, because when you talk about uh, the, the postmodern situation that we're in, it just seems to be the the ether in the air. It's the air we breathe, and even myself, being a Christian, I have to be on guard against this this uh, this environment of postmodernism. And um, it's just really interesting with the advent of critical race theory. And uh, it, my wife and I, we get up every morning, and, I, and I'll be sitting there reading the Bible, and she'll read the Wall Street Journal, and then, and then we'll switch, right? And she'll read the Bible, and I'll read the Wall Street Journal. And inevitably, there's always, every day, there's something about worldview. And, um, and this, this postmodern movement has, has just gained momentum and has uh, really uh, accelerated at warp speed and in affecting everything. So um, it's just an amazing time to live in, and we're really, uh, really got to be on our toes. You know, what's interesting, Bob, is, you know, for a long time, I would hear things that uh, were reflected in kind of the postmodern thought, and I'd, I'd written a book on worldviews, and I have a chapter on postmodernism, but I thought, you know, a lot of this is uh, kind of silly. Mm. But I think what we've seen in the last year is that when there are bad ideas, you need to confront them. You need mm. to critique them. Christians need to respond to them. As, as C.S. Lewis said, we need good philosophy to respond to bad philosophy, because if you don't, it starts to bleed out into society, and people are inundated with it. And so I think you're absolutely right, and I think that uh, we need to think clearly and carefully about ideas, particularly that come out of the universities, that come out of Hollywood, that come out of Harvard, wherever they come from, 
we need to take ideas seriously. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I, I get a steady diet of uh, Albert Moeller every day, and he's he does a great job. If, if, if any of you have never uh, listened to Albert Moeller's podcast, um, he's a he's a excellent at um, lasering in on what is really going on and how uh, news stories and how the media are framing questions so that it's really kind of the deck is stacked against theists and Christianity and, and Christians. So, um, yes, training our minds, I guess, Ken, to uh, and, and your book is going to help us with that, train our minds to, to, to see through what the, the underlying worldview is, and like you said, to address it and to address it realistically, compassionately, honestly, but in truth. Yeah, I think it's so important, uh, Bob. I think that, you know, one of the things that I like to communicate is that uh, I'm tolerant toward people. Mm. Uh, when people disagree, because tolerance always implies disagreement, I'm, in, I'm tolerant toward others. They're made in the image of God. They have inherent dignity, moral worth. I'm intolerant of bad ideas, mm-hmm. faulty ideas, fallacious ideas. And I think part of loving God with all that we are, and I try to communicate this when I speak in churches about the life of the mind, that, you know, God is honored when we use the, the equipment He's given us uh, to engage and uh, to critique these kind of arguments. And so I see the life of the mind as really part of our love for God. And again, I I just have to say, we can't take ideas, uh, you know, silly ideas as if they don't have import, because there are a lot of people now believing a lot of these postmodern ideas. So, you know, what you do and what uh, apologetics.com does is very important. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm thinking through conversations I have with with my family, uh, with my kids, yeah. um, with other adults in their, in their 30s and 40s, and even even my doctor, um, my, my, my physicians who, who I saw uh, just this past week as for an annual checkup. And these ideas, it's interesting how they have just crept into where it's almost flipped and, and I don't know if you're, you're – I'm sure you're familiar with Charles Taylor. I, <laughs> I plowed through this uh, – that 900-page book of his, A Secular Age. Um, but his great insight was that it's completely flipped what used to be the default position of it's really impossible not to believe in God 500 years ago. It migrated toward, well, belief in God is an option – and now it's to the point where if you believe in God, it's like people looking at you incredulously. So it's just this amazing mega shift, as you said, that, that has happened. Um, and, yeah, so what do we do? We confront people, as you said, um, lovingly, kindly, but not tolerate the bad ideas and the bad logic. Absolutely. That is, uh, you know, uh, again, we... Uh we, we live at a time where ideas have, ideas have changed, and I agree with you. You know, if you, go back to, if you go back to the Middle Ages, people thought that believing in God was just common sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we've reached a place where, uh, you know, people look at ideas very differently. And so, 
Yeah, we we have to take these uh, topics very seriously, and uh, you know, and in my book, I try to I try to ask the question the way a skeptical person would. Mm. I try to quote people that are supportive of that point of view, but I also try to be uh, very careful that I I uh, communicate their ideas properly, and then I then I try to offer a Christian response. So. I don't think apologetics has ever been more important than it is right now. Mm-hmm. And you're being intellectually honest by doing that, by, by doing your best to represent the opposing position honestly and how they would present it to you. And another thing, Ken, I, 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 I try not to trigger other people. And, and, and you know, I have a tendency, I, I have to back off. I, I, when, when I first became a Christian, I, I, I tended to confront people. And I, I had to really learn how to humble myself, you know, and um, that really triggers people, you know, and I, I find that I got to listen, number one. I got to listen to the other person and I got to care about them. That's the main thing. I'm, it's not about winning the argument. It's about caring about the other person and listening and knowing, having them know that I care about them and their spiritual well-being. Yeah, you know, Bob, there. I, I I like to talk about what I call the golden rule of apologetics, mm-hmm. and that's where you you treat other people's ideas the way you want yours treated. It doesn't mean you accept what other people say, mm-hmm. but but it means you you treat their ideas fairly, mm-hmm. you in a fair minded, in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very easy. I think you and I, and all of the apologetic uh, guys that at, at uh, Apologetics.com. You know, we love ideas. Uh, ideas are, are part of our our life breath, but it is very important. I mean, Peter talks about uh, being gracious, being generous, a gentleness, uh, keep it, keeping a clear conscience, and I think it's very, very critical. You know, for a poli- people who are interested in apologetics and who want to engage the culture, to learn that it is not about winning. It is about communicating truth and caring and treating other people as if they do matter, because all people matter because they're made in the image of God. So I like what, you, uh, what you're sharing, and, uh, you know, I, I, that's why I support uh, your the program you guys do you do you do a very good job. I appreciate that. And you know what's interesting? I, I was just reading this uh, this book called um, Bad Religion by Ross Douthat, and um, yeah. he was citing um, that in the I believe it was the seventies and the eighties and nineties when evangelicalism was really kind of uh, gaining some traction. The reality was when people were surveyed. 50% of the people that were witnessed to by evangelicals, they saw it as a negative experience. And actually, I'm, I want it to be a positive experience. I want a relationship to be formed. I want somebody to come back to me and say, hey, you know, I, I was thinking about what you said about Jesus and about God and about his plan for my life and, and sin and redemption. I, I'd like to talk to you more about that. I don't want them to be put off and triggered and so anyway, again, we have to be very careful about that. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think the idea of, uh, you know, what I hope people will come away with 
when I talk with them in class or, you know, uh, meet them on the street or if they encounter me on social media. Um, you know, I, I certainly hope that they will look carefully at my ideas. I, I want to be very careful in the way that I reason about goodness and truth and beauty. But I, I want to present to them that, uh, you know, I represent the, the gracious God, mm-hmm. and therefore I want that grace to, you know, to, to be active in my life. And, you know, I, I'm a good old Augustinian. I believe mm-hmm. that salvation is solely by grace. It's not something you can achieve by your own good works. Mm-hmm. It comes through faith. It comes in the person of Christ. And therefore, when I tell people that I believe salvation is the gift of God's grace, I don't want there to be a cognitive dissonance where they look at me and say, "Well, I don't see much grace." Mm-hmm. And of course, mm-hmm. that's you know we're all we're all in, we're all striving, we're all working. But yeah, I'm I'm with you, and uh, I think I think that's I think the character we have and the message we have are both very very important. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your your new book coming out. This is coming coming out on April nineteenth, I believe. And yeah. so again, the 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 title Christianity Cross Examined is it rational, relevant, and good? Tell tell us just a little bit about that title again, and 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 your focus of the book. Yeah, I uh, you know I've I've looked at. Um, I, I was at a, I was at a, an apologetic conference, and I heard a speaker, and I wish I could remember his name. His message was really terrific. He he talked about two kind of atheists, Bob. He said, you know, there there's one atheist who says, look, um, you know, it might be good if Christianity were true, if God existed, uh, I might survive death, there may be objective meaning to life, I'd be reconciled to my family in the afterlife, but they're just that's not rational. It's not rational to believe it. But this speaker also said there's another atheist who comes at it very differently. You know, he said, um, no, there is evidence for God, and there are some very sharp people who believe in God, but uh, I don't want that God to exist. I, um, I'm not willing to accept it. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of somebody like the philosopher, the New York philosopher Thomas Nagel, mm-hmm. And I, I, again, I began thinking to myself that I'd like to present an apologetic presentation that would look at both the truth side as well as, as well as trying to convince people that Christianity has been good for the world. But I, I actually want to enhance their idea that, you know, maybe it would be a good thing if Christianity were true. And mm. so I see a little bit of a I've tried to put a little bit of a different focus in this book than I have in some of my previous ones. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned Walter Martin, and uh, the guy that um, really had an influence on me was Francis Schaeffer. Um, when I first oh, yeah. became a Christian, I, I saw his video series, How Then Should We Live? And he, again, his his whole thing was, was, was truth, but, but truth presented compassionately and lovingly. And this was a guy that had his house, I guess, in Switzerland, and during the 70s, he just, he just invited people in. He would stay up all night and, 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 and talk to people and just really loved people, but he loved the truth. And I have a quote here that I really, um, I, I'd, I'd like to read. Um, 
But again, this is, it's interesting because you're shifting gears a little bit. Like you said, this, his focus was on truth. And what he said was Christianity is realistic because it says that if there is no truth, there's also no hope. And there can be no truth if there is no adequate base. It's prepared to face the consequences of being proved false and say with Paul, if you find the body of Christ, the discussion is finished. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It leaves absolutely yeah. no room for a romantic answer. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, we've been there's been so much yourself and other apologists have have presented the case for truth for the for the proofs of the existence of God for uh, i mean um you know the anthropic principle and uh, the principle yeah. of entropy and so um that's been that's been pretty that's been pretty well laid out but yeah i think your approach of uh coming at it from a different perspective okay so what if Christianity is true? And what would the world look like if there were more Christians? Um, would it be so bad? Yeah, you, you were, you've used a word that I think is just so important, Bob. It's the word hope. Um, I think that a naturalist worldview, that is a, a worldview that says nature is all there is. There's, there's no supernatural, there's no life after death, no immortal soul. Um, I think that naturalists have a real hard time justifying a variety of things. One of them is reason and rationality. If my brain evolved from purely accidental processes, I'm not sure we can have any confidence that our brain gives us, or cognitive faculties give us truth. But I think naturalism also struggles to justify morality. But then there's that hope word again, Bob. Uh, People... People need hope. I, I noticed uh, there is uh, Canada is looking at uh, the possibility of having a law that will allow depressed people who are over 18 that if they don't want to live anymore, uh, you would have uh, you'd have active euthanasia. Uh, uh, and I think, wow, um, people need hope. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've had some family members who struggled with depression, gone mm-hmm. through tough times. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked with psychologists and psychiatrists about how do I, how do I help my loved ones? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've all said, you know, having a worldview that gives you a sense of purpose and mm-hmm. meaning and significance. Mm-hmm. But worldviews like that, as Schaefer was so so clear to communicate worldviews like that won't come easy mm-hmm. no they don't they don't we have to be continually having our minds renewed by the word of god as 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 the apostle paul says um well you address also in your your book we were talking about atheism and the lack of hope uh and of course atheists uh, some atheists say, well, you know, um, I'm really being grown up and mature and courageous. And through the subtraction of, of the idea of religion and us sloughing off, the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, like a snake sloughs off skin, re- religious ideas, we get to the core of, of the truth, which is really there is no meaning. So I'm going to have hope in, um, in having courage. Um, so you address a lot of these guys, uh, the old Nietzsche, uh, the old atheists, Frederick Nietzsche, Bertrand Russell, Jean-Paul Sartre, um, brilliant people, creative people. Yeah. 
I remember studying the existentialists in college and and and, and uh, Camus and and brilliant people, but lacked hope. Yeah, you, you know, I, I make a I make a point in the book. It's it's kind of in the introduction, Bob, where I say that uh, you know when I was studying philosophy, I studied uh, what I would call kind of the old atheists and. You've enumerated some of them, Nietzsche, Russell, A.J. Ayer, Sartre, J. O. Mackey. And I kind of compare them to the new atheists, uh, you know, the Four Horsemen, Dawkins, Hitchens, Harris, and Dennett. I throw in Peter Atkins there as well. Um, I, I think that the old atheists were more formidable, and I, I think that for a couple different reasons. I, I think that the old atheists, they kind of had to study Christianity because it was the dominant worldview perspective, but they were interested in arguments and reason. Mm-hmm. I think in the, with the new atheists, they are skilled rhetorically. I mean, I, I've listened to Hitchens. Uh, Hitchens had real rhetorical skill, but often they don't take Christianity seriously enough to explore it and to view its strengths and its potential, you know, weaknesses. So um, I'm with you. You know, I, I uh, kind of cut my teeth reading the atheistic existentialists, and I've read Nietzsche and his idea that, well, if God is dead and all society is dependent upon the uh, moral absolutes of Christianity, then, you know, what do we do? Well, uh you know, can we just uh, accept the idea that there is no hope and just kind of live courageously in this kind of context? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that that's interesting and engaging, but I still think it's hopeless. And that's where I want to bring people back to the person of Christ, to the resurrection of Christ. Yaroslav Pelikan said, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ isn't risen, nothing else matters. Exactly. No? Exactly. You? Exactly. We are talking to K- Professor Ken Samples tonight on the Apologetics.com radio show. He's got a new book coming out called Christianity Cross-Examined, and he has three other Excellent books as well, so you might want to look him up. He's a great resource. We're going to be back with Professor Samples here on the other side of the break. Stay with us. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the Internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. Hi, ladies. Welcome to Open My Eyes. I'm Lori Wilburn. I'd like to invite you to pause and take a deep breath. As you do, reflect on the last year. What has God done in your life since last March? 
Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. It can be easy to forget what God is doing in the midst of your pressing circumstances. That's one of the reasons why reflecting on God's Word is so important. It helps us slow down and remember that God is faithful in every season. Ladies, remember, it's not she that reads most, but she that meditates most on divine truth. Only this will produce the choicest, wisest, and strongest woman of God. To learn more, visit my blog at corechurchla.org. This is John MacArthur with more Portraits of Grace. For centuries, Israel has eagerly awaited the promised Messiah. Yet in the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah already came. But since he didn't fit Israel's blueprint of a reigning political Messiah who would deliver them from Roman oppression, the nation rejected him, tossing him aside like a worthless rock. Christ, this rejected cornerstone, however, is precious to believers, but remains a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to unbelievers. People trip over a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense is large enough to crush a person. The point is clear. Rejecting Christ brings spiritual devastation of enormous proportions. Let such a frightening reality motivate you to take every opportunity to evangelize the lost. This is John MacArthur praying you're continuing to be portraits of grace. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Bob Fruka back here with the Apologetics.com radio show where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. And we are definitely being challenged to think tonight with Professor Ken Samples as our guest. Ken has written a book called, let me get my notes, Ken, you've got so many books I I can't. I can't keep up. <laughs> Christianity Cross-Examined, which comes out April 19th. And we've been talking about um, the reasonableness of the Christian faith, hope in the Christian faith, um, challenges to the Christian faith, the current environment that we are challenged with uh, in terms of the media, in terms of academia, in terms of uh, Hollywood, and how we answer uh, these objections in truth and love. And Ken's book here is going to be a great tool uh, for anyone who wants to delve into these uh, questions uh, more deeply. For instance, uh, some of the questions, Ken, you have uh, in your book that you answer um, are, hasn't scientific discovery made God unnecessary? Who needs faith when we've got science? And the one that is, is always a very difficult one, isn't faith incompatible with reason? How do you how do you, how do you basically answer that question? Faith and reason. We we seem to it seems to be this dichotomy, which really in fact isn't. Because for myself, I want to have my faith in something that is true, and reasonable and good. I don't want to believe in just anything. But how how do you answer that uh, that faith and reason that argument? Yeah, I'm I'm very fond of. Uh, St. Augustine, and Mm. Augustine liked to say that we should have faith seeking understanding, Mm. and uh, I think that if you look at Christianity through the centuries, uh, a a good definition of faith 
in the, in the New Testament, pistuo, to believe, pistis is the noun faith, is confident trust in a reliable, incredible source. Hmm. So it's interesting to me that if you read Augustine or you read Anselm, even even Aquinas and others, you see that they view faith as confident trust, and that's that's the root of pistuo. But it but it always has an object: mm-hmm. confident trust in a reliable, incredible source. So God is that credible source. Christ is that credible source. But I, I could take it in another sphere of life. Uh, I have confident trust that I'm sitting in this chair right here, and it's, it's going to hold me up. When I was a youngster, I had confident trust in what my parents had to tell me. And so uh, I look at faith and reason, and I look at the various challenges that you know come its way, and I, I set forth ways in which... Uh, Christianity is compatible with reason. And, you know, to touch on one of the things you mentioned early on in the program, Bob, is that Jesus himself invited people to to check into his claims. The apostles did the very same thing. Take a look at uh, what we have to say here. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that there's good reason to think that faith and reason are are compatible and that they they go together. Mm-hmm. And so, circling back to your your point about uh, again the old atheists and the new atheists, and the old atheists the took took Christianity seriously. They had to know the doctrines. They had to know what arguments they were arguing against. And the newer atheists are just kind of they're a little bit more dismissive, as if um, we're, we're we're you know. We're teenagers or whatever. We haven't really reached maturity, and and religion is almost a, a part of an evolutionary stage where it's a part of the evolution of mankind. But we're, we're going to get beyond that. And so um, the 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 uh, the old atheists, like you said, I think the newer atheists don't really understand Christianity, and they don't understand faith. The faith that we have, as you said, the faith is in something that is that is um, real, that we that that instills confidence, that there's a good reason to believe. That's why we have faith. Yeah, you know, I think if you look at some of the old atheists like Nietzsche, his father was a Lutheran minister who mm. died tragically very young, and I don't think Nietzsche ever got over that. Mm. But, uh, you know, Nietzsche had studied Christianity enough that he could see the areas of strength and weakness. You know, one of the comments Nietzsche once said was, you know, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, why don't you act a little more redeemed? Mm. He was aware that, you know, the process of sanctification isn't easy, and Christians don't always live up to the aspirations that they see in their Savior. But I do think, I do think that the old atheists, because they studied Christianity, I mean, they could they could tell you who Augustine was and Aquinas, and they had an awareness of the of the thinkers that had embraced Christianity. Again, I think the new atheists uh, they're skilled at rhetoric, but uh, you know, to take a position on seriously, you have to study it, you have to reflect upon it. I mean, it's taken me years to kind of think through naturalism and think through pantheistic monism and looking at these other world religions, I've had to kind of commit time to it. Um, 
I think the old atheists were more robust, but, you know, we have a lot of people today who enjoy the rhetoric, mm-hmm. and uh, the new atheists are pretty good at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in the gym a few years ago, and uh, I was on the bike sweating away and um, talking to somebody, talking to a friend about uh, my faith and, and Christianity, and a guy walked by, another friend, he looks at me and goes, yeah, you know, Richard Dawkins wrote that book, he pretty much you know, did away with Christianity. I looked at him like, what? Huh? Okay, we need to have a discussion about this. You know, that one yeah. got under my skin a little bit. I was like, man, okay. You know, that's, so yeah, to to just like read a book and just go, hey, you know, uh, it's it's done. It's over with. I've read that book. Christianity's just simply not true. And that's that. Well, thank you for erasing 2,000 years of, of, of history and faith and, 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 and cultural significance. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting how we can look at an argument uh, from somebody like a famous author or whatever and just go, yeah, I read that book. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with it. Thank you. Next, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you said, um, yeah, I, bad ideas have bad consequences. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I taught a lot of logic uh, at various colleges and uh, at Biola. And I, I used a a particular textbook, uh, Concise Introduction to Logic by Patrick Hurley, and he had an interesting little series of uh, charts. He had 10 eminent logicians, so I, I pointed out to my students, six of these people who've made major contributions to logic are either Christians or theists. Mm-hmm. And I asked the question, if Christianity is... Uh, you know, if if Christianity isn't rational and reasonable, then why are so many of the people in the history of the faith made such significant contributions? So, and and again, I think I think A.J. Ayer, Nietzsche, Camus, I think they understood that. I I think that's kind of lost at times on uh, Hitchens and you know, and Sam Harris and others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, interesting, so we've been talking a lot about atheism and the new atheists, and I don't really know too many people that, I don't think I know, maybe one person that say, you know what, God doesn't exist, and that's that. Most people are, quote-unquote, spiritual. And yeah. so what, I, what I've uh, found is that reading, from the, reading this book by Ross Douth at Bad Religion, he makes the point that it really... The atheists have, have 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 made some inroads, but it's really this whole avenue of the Nova effect, as as uh, Charles Taylor calls it, of these all these new spiritualities, and so yeah. addressing not only atheism but the new spirituality and the new spiritualism, and the idea of again being a good person, you can go to heaven, and I like that idea, you know. But then when I think about well, what's the standard? That's when I get in trouble. If I believe in God and he's the standard, I got a big problem. I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, there is the growth of the nons, the people that, mm-hmm. you know, don't identify with any particular religion, but I agree with you. I think we still live in a very religious world, a spiritual world. Uh, you know, people have differing ideas about the nature of reality and uh even though I think science and evolution and these these kind of scientific issues are always relevant as to the truth of Christianity, I think at the same time, Bob, that 
the world's religions, um, and you know their spiritual ideas are are equally uh, a challenge, and mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's where we do want to be able to plug in and be able to talk about how Christianity, you know, is distinct. I mean, one thing that I've learned about apologetics, and as I look at the world's religions, is I think to myself. Well, I know they're going to get some things wrong, and certainly the New Testament talks about false gods, false Christ, false gospels, but they're also made in the image of God, and they have general revelation, and they have common grace, mm-hmm. so they're going to get some things right. Mm-hmm. And I try to, I try to, you know, plow down on that a little bit and say, well, where can we agree? Mm-hmm. And then maybe take them uh, to to the real challenges that Christianity presents concerning God and Christ. And I think that's what you did in your book, God Among Sages. I thought you were very fair in your assessment of Confucius and Buddha and um, the other sages you talked about. And then you were, you were very uh, winsome and fair and, and, um, and um, open-minded about the contributions that they had made, and yet— you clearly delineate Christ as the unique, sui generis God-man. There's only one of a kind, and he is the only way to to God. So um, anyway, yeah, I think you did a good job on that in your last book. Um, and, and you know, you know, Bob, I'll tell you, the, the, the best compliment somebody could give me is to say that I've been fair to their worldview, hmm. that, I've, that I've treated them in a fair-minded manner. To me, that that means a lot. I have mm-hmm. no wish to misrepresent the beliefs of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, another challenge, uh, Ken, is, of course, you know, the problem of evil, um, theodicy. Yeah. Um, and we talk about that, and, and you know, there's a certain—we uh, we can, we can talk about it from a Reformed perspective, um, and yet we can kind of— get our hands around it but really there's a there's a there's a part that is it's a mystery because we have yeah. um like like Francis Schaeffer would say our minds are a thimble dipping into the ocean of god so god has revealed himself we can understand him to the point where he wants us to understand him he's given us enough information but there's there's a lot of mystery to it so whenever you get into sometimes a discussion with somebody else and you talk about mystery, um, they go, well, you know, okay, well, now now you're getting into the supernatural and, and blah, blah, blah. So how do you deal with, when you talk to people about the problem of evil, how do you balance that out between, you know, the logical presentation of of sin and judgment and the fact that, well, you know what, it is a mystery? Yeah. I, I think as I've gotten a bit older, Bob, I, I've thought more about mystery. I mean, Christianity has a lot of them, the Trinity, the Incarnation, mm-hmm. the Atonement, the Resurrection, you know, the image of God in us. is These are mysteries, but they, they're they revelatory truths. Now, we can't totally get our minds around them. I'll never understand the Trinity mm-hmm. as the persons in the Godhead understand themselves. But a mystery is not a contradiction, mm-hmm. and a, a mystery is meaningful mm-hmm. uh, and reasonable. And so I, you know, I guess kind of the logic teacher in me, I always try to lay down, well, he, here's what the law of non-contradiction says. Mm-hmm. 
now, you know, let's let's take a look at some of these mysteries, uh, the Trinity, the Incarnation, looking at the, the problem of, you know, pain and suffering. Uh, you know, it, it, it seems to me, and there, there are many ways of thinking about the problem of evil, uh, to me, I've always thought that the, the God has a greater good. Hmm. Um, you know, God comes into the world, and uh, he approaches his own people, his own people group, you know, the Hebrews, and uh, they put him to death. But out of that miscarriage of justice mm. comes salvation for all who believe. And mm. so, you know, there are times when I drive, I drive by uh, Children's Hospital of Orange County, and mm. I think how many kids are up there on the third floor, and you know they've got swollen bellies and they're just small kids and they're they have cancer and their parents are in pain. Mm. But I also realized, Bob, that this isn't the only world. Mm. There is another world, mm-hmm. and uh, I get a great deal of comfort and strength in the idea that God's going to He's going to take all those crooked straws and He's going to make them straight. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know the problem of evil is a challenge and it comes in various ways. But I think Christianity has the best answers to the problem of evil. In, in fact, I don't think there is evil unless there's a standard of goodness. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's a perennial challenge, but one, I think, worthy of our, our time and effort. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, just as you're talking, I'm reflecting on a, um, briefly on a, a uh, uh, episode or, or, or a uh, season in my wife's and, 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 and my life, uh, we had uh, her mom, who was had dementia, who was 94, living with us. And when um, she first came in, she, she had, it was just the best situation for her to live with us. So, you know, we just rebuilt our house. Uh, the timing was perfect. And by God's providence, she moved in. And Linda looks at me and she goes, how, how am I going to do this? I have no idea. Mom's living with me, and I just don't know if I can take care of her. But through you know prayer and through um God's providence and through um hope and faith and and a lot of support from uh, great hospice people uh we walked her to the door um and uh it was really a privilege and so something that yeah. we looked at and you know she was she was she was afraid but you know at the end of it she was like wow that was amazing it was hard but it was amazing and you know, Bob, that's Christianity has done that. I mean, in in the ancient, I mean, the word hospice is a is a Christian word. Christianity created these hospitals, and they said, "Look, we can't cure you, but we can care for you. We can mm-hmm. comfort you." You know, I I think that Christianity has done a remarkable job through the centuries of, you know, the, the first two people, the large people groups to join Christianity were women and slaves. Mm-hmm. Because they saw something in Jesus, this this man is different. He he treats us differently, and um, yeah, I mean, we go through these very difficult times, but uh, we call on the Lord by His grace to to help us. And I I think that uh, that's one thing I really try to communicate in the book that Christianity has been good. Um, it's addressed effectively, you know, the abolitionists were by and large Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus relates to women differently than 
Romans and even other Jewish folk. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, you know, love is a powerful force for good, and love is itself a very powerful apologetic tool. It is. It is, absolutely. Absolutely. Amen to that. We were talking to Professor Ken Samples, who's written a book called uh, Christianity Cross-Examined, and it's his fourth book, and uh, it's coming out on April 19th, and it's really going to be a good resource, I think, for a, for a lot of uh, lay people. I'm sure it'll be, uh, hopefully it'll be used in uh, universities as well. And uh, on another subject, Ken, you know, I found it interesting that uh, we talk about building bridges with uh, people that disagree with us. I find an interesting connection now between true liberals, not, not, not quote-unquote woke liberals, but true liberals and mm-hmm. Christians in a lot of areas, and really in terms of, okay, not canceling out somebody because they believe a certain way, allowing freedom of speech, allowing freedom of thought, allowing the free exchange of ideas. Albert Muller recently had a, a gentleman named James Lindsay on a show who wrote a book uh, who uh, it's called Critical Race Theory, and it's really cynical theories. And so he's a, he's a liberal, and he's an atheist, but Albert Muller had him on the show, and there was a lot of agreement between uh, Albert Muller and, and James Lindsay, you know, and it's just it's so interesting how sometimes there's, there are strange bedfellows in terms of worldviews. Well, I think that's exactly right. I was commenting to a friend the other day that, uh, you know, I, I look at Plato and Aristotle, and we think, well, they're, they're pagan. Hmm. But in many respects, they're kind of worldview allies. Uh, they took truth seriously. They, you know, they believed that there were there's truth, goodness, and beauty. Mm. Uh, I think we now live at a time where there are going to be opportunities to reach out to people who say, hey, uh, I may not accept all of your worldview, but I really like the idea of being able to have freedom of speech, to, you know, to give due process to each and every person. Yeah. Um, again, I, I come back to that earlier point, Bob. I, I, uh, you know, there's always been a lot of ideas coming out of the university that I thought, well, they're just silly. I don't, I don't want to spend my time with them. But we've had 50 years of these ideas being presented to young people's minds. Uh, you can't take a bad idea, and and you know, you need to address it. And mm-hmm. so, we're people that believe in truth and goodness and beauty, and ideas are very, very important. And we need to communicate that to people in our church, that uh, thinking and discerning and reasoning is uh, honoring to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and again, as, as you're speaking, I'm, I'm just reflecting on, uh, again, how important the attitude is, uh, just not, not dismissing yeah. other people and, and really listening and and caring and um, and like you said, um, like Nietzsche said, uh, hey, you know, I, I don't. You may espouse me espouse these ideas, but I don't really uh, see a whole lot of Christian like behavior. So we we have to definitely be on guard with that. So as we kind of kind of uh, come toward the uh, home stretch here, Ken, what are your thoughts? And you know, in terms of uh, um, again engaging, influencing the culture. We've been talking a lot about um, 
ideas and, and, and discussing uh, and, 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 you know, uh, I guess shining the light on ideas and maybe they're, they're fallacious. And maybe these ideas are, are very, you know, um, personal to people and, 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 and very, very emotive. So um, moving forward, um, we, we, we kind of got our backs up against the wall, you know. And so how, yeah. how, how, do, how, do, we, how do we address it? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we're living at a. We seem to be living at a, a time of transition. We're living at a time where, you know, uh, some people have real serious questions about whether there is truth or whether, you know, I hear people say, "Well, that you know, that's truth for you." Some have suggested mm-hmm. we live in kind of a post-truth uh, period of time. My view, Bob, is I. I think that. Uh, I think we need to earn our pay as Christian thinkers. I think that we need to uh, we need to help people. You know, I when I teach logic to students at Biola University, I say, you know, I I don't want you to take these principles of reasoning and then go out and kind of taunt people with them or you know harass people. I want you to to be a servant. I want you to be Socrates, where you're helping people to discover these ideas. Uh, Bob, I think that. For, you, for people like you and me and Apologetics.com, this is a time where we need to help people to understand uh, the importance of truth, goodness, and beauty. And again, I appreciate so much your your spirit. Um, I I uh, I I think there is a, a cognitive dissonance when we tell people that grace is the greatest thing in the world, but we're not aspiring to it. So I think we need to take ideas. I think we need to step forward and try to help people understand the the problems in this kind of relativistic way of thinking about truth and and morality and these various ideas. But you know, um, I would also say, you know, I've studied philosophy, and uh, when I go back to the Sophists at the time of Socrates, Athens was experiencing something similar, and. Um, you know, the Roman Empire had a lot of relativism, but Christianity exploded. And so I'm, uh, I don't mm. know if I'm a post-millennialist, but I'm, I'm pretty, I still want to be optimistic. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, the eschatology, that, that's, a, that's another hour show. <laughs> that's right. Oh, <laughs> uh, last question. We got a couple of minutes left, Ken. So you dedicated this book to your mother. Um, tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, you know, my my father was a combat soldier in World War II. My parents grew up in West Virginia. They had uh, nearly kind of a, an elementary school education. They were teenagers during the Depression. But one thing I noticed about my parents is even though they didn't have a lot of education, my, my mother was a reader, and I'd bring home books from the library. And I remember walking in one day, I think I was in third grade, and my mother's ironing clothes for the family, and she's she's reading a book at the same time. And, <laughs> you know, um, my mother shared her faith with me. She gave her faith to me, and mm. I think it's so important to honor your father and your mother. And mm. I didn't have perfect parents, and they didn't have a perfect son, but I hope <laughs> that this book will, in a small way, honor uh, my parents. And um, I think that that's such a very important virtue. That is very noble. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, 
Who can argue with that? Come on, folks. Family <laughs> values, you know, really. I just, uh, I, I love that. That's great. And, uh, and, and, you know, Augustine loved his mother, so I got to love my mother. Absolutely. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, I was an only child raised by by Catherine Rose, and uh, she brought me up in in the uh, Catholic Church, and then yep. I, I I migrated. I got a master's in philosophy and religious studies at Santa Barbara. I ended up being a Zen Buddhist for about a year, and then um, a nominal Catholic, and then here I am, a uh, evangelical well, you got, you got Christian. Quite a story. <laughs> you got quite a Thank you so yeah. much for reaching out to me, Bob, and you guys, uh, again, uh, you have a lot to offer. I'm I'm a fan of what you do, and thank you for your uh, interest. Thank you, and uh, that was Ken Samples we had on this evening. Christianity Cross-Examined, his new book comes out April 19th. Check it out. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Take care.